You're listening to Abscond with Ethan Renault, and today on the podcast, we're going to be talking about fame, glamour, and glory. Uh, Ethan has tasted all three of those recently and uh, sat down and wrote a poem about that. Forget these temporary pleasures. Forget the lover's kiss and the gentle pressure of her hand against my arm. Forget the parties, the clothes, and the electrical circuiting in the palms of our hands keeping us alive. Forget the blanket we lied on in that field that cloudy midnight. Culver City was electric. Take me back there and I would spend endless days just dwelling in that feeling. That emotion. It's the free fall where your organs elevate within your ribcage, erasing all other places and times, presenting you with only the very raw here and now. I would trade all of that for a taste of glory, for something more intense than a free fall and more intimate than a simple touch. After all, how much nearer can one draw to another than to simply reach out and touch them? The tragedy of fallen flesh is that every touch ends. Each one exists only a fleeting matter of moments before the sun comes up, the lights come on, and the magic escapes. I think every close call I've ever had with glory ended before it could climax. The curtain falls and the actors retreat to the green room to rub the stage makeup from their faces. I touched you in Chicago. I kissed you on the mouth. I pushed the hair from your neck and held you in the dark. But like each close encounter with the infinite, you grew tired and drifted away from me. Your body was in my arms, but you were not. The mystics in their quiet rooms speak of a glory that visits them in their shiny silence. Sometimes I feel it in the rain. Foreign monks build temples from blood money, then reach for glory through the emptying of their minds. Sometimes I felt it on the road, those silent drives in the dark as the white stripes slip rhythmically beneath the car. I've never been able to wrap my mind around a god big enough to make all this, so I make idols of women instead. At least I can wrap my arms around them. At least I can hold them for a little while, although I wish it was a little while longer. All my life I've been looking for glory, hunting it really. I remember that rainy day on Cape Cod when I faced you in the forest. We were dressed like Adam and splashing through the mud. The glory was so near, I thought the next raindrop to slap my skin might finally burst the bubble once and for all. Another time, my boys in Chicago and I ran to Lake Michigan because the sky was pouring warm rain. We dove in and listened to the world. Silence saved the impact of the drops on the water's surface. Those gentle waves lapped at our chests in the windless afternoon. I was convinced the glory was waiting for us in the mist just a little further out on the water. But once again, the clouds departed and the rain stopped. The puddles evaporated and we toweled off. We were so close. So I didn't see glory when I sat on the bare back of an elephant while we paraded through the Thai jungle. And I missed it again when I played soccer with the Nigerian kids. But I was close, the way you can taste the meal your mother is cooking just by inhaling its scent. I think that's all this world can be. Close. I think we can only catch a hint of its flavor. Glory eludes us like that phantom in the attic, always calling out our names and vanishing when we get too close. The house lights come on, the actors bow, then retreat to the green room to hang their costumes on the rack. All this tells me is that glory is somewhere, but it's always somewhere else. Somewhere we can't touch in this life, but we can sniff it out. C.S. Lewis said that we can't attain it on this world, so we were probably made for another one. This world is not all there is. It tells me I have a home I haven't seen yet, but my name is written on the door of my room. I've come close to glory several times, but have yet to hold it without it wriggling from my fingers. I've come close, and will arrive there soon. The Lord is glorious, and I draw near to him. I've chased him through the trees and sat with him in silence. I'm longing for glory, so I'm binding myself to him. He's the best chance I've got.
This is Abscond with Ethan Renault, and uh, Ethan, that's quite the poem. I think you paint such vivid pictures of, you know, what is glory in the pursuit of that. But that really begs a couple of questions for me, and I think over the next, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes, as we uh, unpack this idea of what is glory, um, we're, we're going to hopefully um, dissect this poem a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, you're you're pursuing glory in this, and I think a lot of times we don't really understand what that is. We're we're always pursuing something, and you've said no. What I'm pursuing here, I'm looking for, is glory. How do you define that? You know, I think the best definition that I've ever heard comes from C.S. Lewis, and he describes it as weight. You know, his book, The Weight of Glory. Mm. He he talks about it. He compares it to a rock in a river. So, for instance, if a rock has weight then it'll sit in the river, and the river will essentially run around the rock. The rock will reshape the way the river runs Hmm, because the rock has weight to it. Whereas if you throw a pebble in a river, it's going to be swept away and carried away and not going to have much impact on the river whatsoever. So essentially, whatever we see as glorious will shape the course of our lives. So, for instance, if God to us is the most glorious pursuit in our lives, he's going to shape the way that we live because we see him as something that is beautiful and magnanimous and awe-inspiring. Whereas if we're pursuing other things like fame or glamour, like we'll talk about today, then God will be cast to the side and he will be swept away by the river of your life. And that's not to say that God is small and... You know, but oh, right. um, the, the way that we live our lives essentially reflects how we see him and how much weight we give to him um, and where we have weight in our lives. So, for instance, so many people I know have such a high pursuit of fame that that's what shapes their lives, yeah. essentially. Yeah. Um, it could be money. It could be sex. It could be friends. It could be drugs. It could be whatever it is that you attribute glory to is what shapes your life. And the thing that's so fascinating about that is while none of those things, or most of those things in and of themselves, are are good things. There's nothing Mm -hmm. wrong with having money and with having friends and with having influence and and all of this. But if that's what we're really pursuing, we're going to come up empty time and time and time again. And uh, for those who are not familiar with your story, this is something that you actually kind of got to to live firsthand a little bit. Back uh, about a year, well, maybe not quite a year ago, but towards the uh, six months ago or so, eight, seven months ago, you actually got a taste of some fame, of some glamour. You had a video go viral. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, millions of people saw your face. Uh, Many of them knew your name. Mm -hmm. What was that experience like? And and what did that, uh, how did that impact you? Man, that, I mean, that whole experience totally changed the, the direction of my life. It took me in places that I never, I never saw it going because I never set out to become famous. You know, it's something that happened to me, whereas a lot of other people work really hard for years and then become famous. And so I've kind of, kind of like you mentioned earlier, I had a taste of fame, glamour, and glory. And I really like exploring the definition of those three because a lot of people will say things like, oh, Hollywood isn't glamorous. Like, if you really look at it, you know, the the movie industry isn't glamorous. The dance music industry isn't glamorous, whatever. And I want to say... Yes, it is. It absolutely is glamorous. It, if you look at the definition of glamour, you know, it's the attractive or exciting quality that makes certain people or things seem appealing or special. That's exactly what Hollywood is. It has this exciting, attractive appeal 
And in many ways, I got sucked in by that too. It's interesting you bring that out because I think, you know, we see both sides of that. People say, well, it's not glamorous because once you kind of peel back the veneer mm -hmm. and you, you see the, the underside of it, there is a lot of ugly there. Mm -hmm. But it's glitzy and glamorous yeah. on the outside, on the surface. You, you'd absolutely see that. After your video went viral and people began to know who you are and you began to get a taste of that fame, I know you went out to L.A., spent some time there. What, what was that like? Um, going to LA was very much feeling like a very small fish in a very big ocean, you know, cause LA is where everybody who's famous is. So if you're famous, you're in LA. So it wasn't uncommon for us to see a famous person and be like, Oh, Hey, there's so-and-so there's so-and-so. Yeah. Um, my favorite run in, I'll just tell you real quick was Fabio because <laughs> <laughs> the romance cover guy, the romance cover guy. <laughs> Because for the longest time, I used to have long hair. It was like down to my like mid chest, and everyone called me Fabio. And so, <laughs> like, I, I, we were at the sushi place, and this guy walks up, and we're like, "Oh, hey, there's Fabio." And he walked closer, and I was like, "Oh, crap, that is Fabio." <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "Are you Fabio?" And he's like, "Yes." And I was like, "Can we take a picture with you?" And all my friends were rolling their eyes, and I was like, you guys don't understand how many times I've been called Fabio, and now I have a picture with him. <laughs> but it was great. So anyway, all that to say, like, fame and glamour are exactly that. They're attractive, but on the surface. And I think that that's what glamour refers to is the superficial surface attraction that draws someone in. The same way a human being can be glamorous without actually having integrity or good personality you know what I mean? Yeah. I so, so that's why I say Hollywood is glamorous in that the surface is appealing. But if you dig a little deeper, you find that there's not glory, which I would say is what we're really after in in this case. You think built in the, the heart of every person is the desire to find glory? Absolutely. I think that we are made to worship. You know, you'll see this in everything. Like if you've been in church for any amount of time, you've probably heard pastors use the example of men who will go to a football game and cheer and scream their lungs out and uh you know rejoice and hug each other and they'll go to church and zip yeah. you know it's it's square and dry and quiet and sit down and stand up and and so you see that we are all made to worship something and that could be anything to anyone i've never been a big sports guy so sports knowledge don't always work on me but I'll go to a concert and experience something in the music. I'll go to, you know, just constantly we have this innate desire to find things that are glorious. And we get yeah. tastes of them. And that's kind of what I touched on in the poem, finding those tastes and those hints of things that essentially point to something deeper, which I believe would be God. But, you know, we're, we're looking for something ultimately glorious. So let me play devil's advocate with you for a minute here. There may be somebody who stumbles upon this podcast and they, they say, okay, uh, so for you, God is glorious. Yeah. But for me, some of those things that you were talking about a little bit ago, man, that, that's glory. That, that's, that's what I want. I want the big fat bank account. To me, that would mm -hmm. be glory. Or I want that big house. I want that model. I want all these women. <laughs> I, I want, you know. Yeah. And, and if, for me, that's where I find glory. Is, is there an innate problem, an errant problem with uh, putting your hope in that? I mean, because for some people, if they get that, 
and they say, "Hey, I'm, I'm finally getting what I wanted." Mm-hmm. Is there is there a problem with that? Yeah, yeah. I wrote this article a little while back about the hollow experience of going viral, and in it, I talked about how suddenly millions of people knew my name. You know, across the world, it wasn't just an American thing. Like I got love letters from China, uh, <laughs> Philippines, everywhere. Every country was like, hey, your article disappeared. People were sending me links from all over the world. And so having these millions of people know my name, you would think, oh, he must feel great about himself. He must, you know. But no, like all it does is make you want more, mm. you know. And and so I got this taste of fame. And I say taste very lightly because I'm not famous by any means. I found that out in L.A. But what it does is make you want more. And the second that the fame starts to wane the second it starts to go away or be reduced in, in some way, I almost felt the urge to like do something crazy just to get noticed, just to get back on the news, just to get more exposure and draw people back to me. So I can like actually understand people who like those superstars that will like shave their heads or, you know, get drunk and drive really fast and just to make headlines, you know, like you can start to understand that. And it's really something that you don't get until it's happened to you. Like, to be honest, I, yeah. a lot of my friends are like, oh, Ethan, why do you keep doing this or that? And I'm like, I'm not trying to. It's just something that no one can relate to that experience. A, a couple of podcasts ago, I think it was uh, maybe even our very first podcast, you had said something to the effect of when I began to, to taste this, I actually, my self-image, uh, as the fame began to wane, so did my self-image. Mm-hmm. I was happy before I went viral, yeah. but after going viral, my my, I didn't find my happiness in the same place, and I didn't have yeah. the same uh, self image that I did before. Yeah, and and I have been waiting to come back to that. Yeah. Um. Why Why do you think that is? I mean, what what did uh, the the little taste of fame do, as you said, to mess with your head? Yeah, it gets you. I would almost compare it to a drug. I've never done drugs, but I would compare it to something that you get this high. I got a high of five million views on one video. And suddenly I want to go back to that, you know, because now I'm, my Facebook's back to normal. I'll get a dozen likes on something. And I'm like, no, now I want millions again. I want yeah. millions. And and you want to get back to that and back to that. And, you know, the real world where my circle of like maybe 10 good friends doesn't satisfy me anymore. I need more, you know, and and at the same time, I'm not saying that to make it say it's a good thing. I'm saying it's that's what's really messed up about it. And this whole social media culture where we just want more likes and more appreciation and more validation and recognition at the end of the day all those are are numbers they're just people who don't know you liking something that doesn't really reflect the real you if we're honest hardly anything we put on social media is our real selves so trying to get likes for something that's not really ourselves from people we don't really know is really a kind of messed up way of seeking out friendships and relationships and I want to talk a lot more about intimacy in a future podcast. Well, I really want to dive into the topic of intimacy and how intimacy is what we're really craving. Yeah. But social media is the opposite of the way to go about it. You know, so it's kind of this strange cycle that we get into of wanting all this recognition, but, you know, trying to scratch the wrong itch, you know, something like something like that. So as you sat down and uh, thought, okay, let's start this podcast. Was there any part of you that kind of had to wrestle through the, am I doing this podcast because I want more likes? I want more people to know who I am? No, I'm doing it because I want more money. (laughs) 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 
you got to eat, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, and there is the unvarnished truth right there. <laughs> peeling, peeling back the curtain on that one. <laughs> you want to know, this is just a side note. People ask me occasionally, Ethan, you got so famous. Did you get any money from any of that? The answer is no. I made zero, not even a cent from any of that stuff that I did, but... The TV interviews, nothing. All right, you, so. we got to find you a new agent here, <laughs> or one to begin with. All right, yeah. So let's backtrack there, get off that tangent. And you have been very, very honest in an article you wrote for Relevant Magazine. People can find that uh, at your website and on the mm-hmm. blog um, about the emptiness of this. Yeah. There had to come a point where you began thinking through, I don't like this. Um, this, as you said, this is messing with my head. And I need to somehow be able to reorient or refocus my definition of success and what mm-hmm. I'm chasing and what I, but what was that process like? And, and have you even figured that out yet? No, I definitely say I'm still on the journey there. Uh, definitely not there by a long shot. Cause there's a lot of people that have been a lot more famous than me for a much longer period of time. And I have a lot to learn from them still. I, th- I think I mentioned this in a, in a previous podcast that, you know, if I could say one thing to famous people or people who aren't famous yet but may become famous in the future, it's don't set your hopes and your joys on the uh, the level of your fame because that's going to let you down every time. And the second your fame starts to slip away, they're going to replace you with someone else who's more exciting, younger, better looking. You know, and it, it's always a constant tide of new people coming up and then going down, coming up, going down, new people constantly, because the public has such a short attention span. I thought I was the center of the world for two weeks. And, and then when that started to slip away, I I realized, oh my gosh, like I got to get this back. And then I'm like, no, Ethan, you're thinking like an idiot. Like (laughs) this, this isn't what your life is about. Your life is like right now you're pursuing something that's hollow and foundationless, and you need to set your set your hopes on something bigger, something essentially glorious, something that has weight and real, you know, strength and firmness, yeah. something that really matters. And another C.S. Lewis book I recently read was um, The Great Divorce. Have you read that? I've not. Oh, no, I've, I've heard gosh. it's a fantastic book, though. Yeah, The Great Divorce is possibly my new favorite book of all time because okay. it's it's so short; it's like a hundred pages, but it rocks my world because. The way he portrays the people in heaven and in hell is people in heaven are people who basically said, nothing in this world is really going to satisfy me. I'm just going to give up my striving Mm -hmm. and just hold on to something that's real. Basically, I'm going to surrender what I want and give it to the Lord. Whereas all the people in hell are people who just constantly said like, no, I'm right. Like, I can't forgive them. They did this to me. They were just like looking for pleasure in certain places. Sure. There was one academic guy who was like, like, um... I don't think that God can be ultimately known. Like maybe there's, and he just was so full of his um, intelligence and intellect that he couldn't accept who God actually was. So it just, it's crazy how, man, that book just rocked my world. We could do a whole podcast about that book, but the people in hell were people that held so tightly to things that were hollow. Yeah. And in the end they got them. Yeah. And that's what their eternity is, is holding so tightly onto their own, views and desires and things whereas the people in heaven had things that really mattered they were solid people sure it's just this beautiful book by lewis and 
you know, to it actually makes me think a little bit of something the Apostle Paul said um, in the Bible, where he said, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Mm-hmm. Because if you set your affection, if you define glory as anything other than God or in the, in the person of Jesus, then when you die, that is gone mm-hmm. forever. Yeah. It's if if it was golf, if it was sex, if it was money, if it was your family, if it was good things, mm-hmm. it's it's still gone. Yeah. The only thing that you'll actually be able to get more of in eternity mm-hmm. is Christ. And yeah. so if that's where your affection is set, if that's how you've defined glory, you're actually going to gain sure. in, in eternity. So I, I as you were talking about that, I'm just kind of reminded of that. I want to back up, though, to something you said mm-hmm. um, a moment ago. You said, one thing I wish I had thought of beforehand is that when it went viral, I wish I would have had a purpose, a cause, a reason, uh-huh. uh, something. If lightning were to strike twice uh-huh. and you were to have another video go viral or something would, you know, again, put you in the news cycle and everyone would know your name again, mm-hmm. what would that be for you? Um. I think what I meant, it was honestly more of a technical comment. Like when I was in college, our communications professor always said, you need to figure out your identity and your identity. And he wasn't speaking theologically. He was talking business wise. Your identity is, hi, I'm Ethan. I'm a photographer. I am a business consultant. I am a whatever you fill that blank in with like how you want to present yourself. I didn't have that. So if I could rewind like when people asked me what I did, I was like, well, like right now I'm just a, a nanny and a bouncer and a construction worker. If I could erase all that and say like, I'm Ethan Renault, I'm a speaker, writer, and photographer, and just like a creator, yeah. I feel like that would have opened different doors than they did. Hmm. It wasn't necessarily a yeah. deep thing. It was more yeah. of a technical thing. And if lightning were to strike twice, then I feel like I'd be a lot more prepared now. Well, we're talking with uh, Ethan Renault, and maybe you have uh, some feedback. You've got questions about this whole thing. Uh, you can always get a hold of us through the website. It's ethanrenault.com. Click on the contact button. I don't want to spoil a future podcast, but I do want to follow up just briefly on something you said a, a few moments ago. You said so often people are chasing fame, they're chasing glamour, when ultimately what uh, they probably are really looking for is intimacy. Mm -hmm. What do you mean by intimacy, and why do you think that's ultimately what we're looking for? I mean, at its core, the word intimacy, I would define it as knowing and being known. It's a two-way relationship in which you're just as close to another human being as you possibly can be. And that's not even necessarily physically. That's, you know, I know what they're thinking. I know what they're feeling, and they know me. And it's, it's not this idea of, they know me after I put my makeup on and after I get all dolled up and, and then I go out to the town. It's like, no, they know me when I don't have my makeup on. I don't have my clothes on. They've seen the real, open, vulnerable me. And I've seen them in that state as well. And it's just a deep knowledge of another person. So there's so much to that. And yeah. I'm excited to talk more about it. So yeah. I want to wrap this up with one quote I have. Um, this is from a guy named Donald Fairbairn. He wrote a book called uh, Life in the Trinity. I had to read it for school, but this one section always stood out to me, especially after I got famous. And he writes, The most insidious effect of America's celebrity culture is its constant subliminal message that we are not really important. If celebrities are the gods of the modern age, what does that make the rest of us normal people? So, essentially what celebrity and what this fame culture tells us is, you're not important. 
it tells you that these people that have millions of likes and views and listeners and viewers, they are the ones who are, are important. You know, celebrities are the ones that are being written about in the newspapers and so on. And the rest of us are just kind of normal, average, not as important. Yeah. And I think that that's just so twisted. Just to, to seek out fame, to seek out more likes and followers and whatever, I think that that really is so backward to just humanity, essentially. Humans aren't made at different values. They're equal. And as you've been listening to, uh, you know, Ethan talk about this in this conversation, maybe you've got thoughts about that. You can always give us your feedback or even uh, throw out different topics that uh, we can talk about when you go to EthanRenault.com. Click on the contact link. You can find out more about uh, Ethan. As he said a few moments ago, you were talking about your speaker, writer, blogger, photographer, all that information right there at the website. So uh, yeah. go check it out. Abscond with Ethan Renault is co-hosted by Steve Hiller and produced by Mark Bretta. Music by Nick Lang. Get all the info you need at ethanrenault.com. <laughs>